Welcome back to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to shedding some light on some of the more complicated topics of personal finance. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jake Hamilton. And I'm Nikki Jankola-Shanks, another of your co-hosts. On our last episode, we talked about the terminology, financial tools, and considerations to keep in mind if you're thinking about buying a car. We also talked through the process of buying a car, so if this seems relevant to you, please check that episode out. I'm the last of your co-hosts, Andrea Pellegrini, and I am very excited to talk to you today about the world of money personality inventories and a little bit about financial socialization and well-being and tools that we have available to measure all those things. I feel like I should probably put out a disclaimer here that I, I, I do have an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I'm currently pursuing a PhD in educational psychology. So personality inventories are generally just super fascinating to me. And I apologize ahead of time if I go on any tangents that don't seem to make sense. I I promise they they will try. I will try to make sure that they are related to what we're discussing. Okay, Jake and I will reel her back in. (laughs) She gets too far down the, the rabbit hole. Thank you. There are like hundreds of personality inventories out there and some of them have been validated with like years and years of research and study and some have not but a lot of people think that they're fun to take either way because a lot of humans like to label things we like to put things in boxes we like to have clear definitions uh, for pretty much everything Uh, and it's kind of how our brains work and categorize things and make sense of the world so it makes sense however it's important to also understand that humans are also very complex and dynamic in our experiences and even time and sometimes biology can influence how we view situations and how we experience the world so a lot of these personality inventories or scales that we are discussing today should be taken with a grain of salt so to speak. So before we get started, it's probably best to provide a few definitions so you have some context before we dive real deep into the money personality inventories that Andrea is going to walk us through today. So let's define what financial socialization is since it's the basis for a lot of these scales or tools. Financial socialization has been studied since the mid-1970s and generally refers to the influences that parents and families have on an individual consumer's financial behavior and well-being throughout the life cycle. What we learn or do not learn from our upbringing can impact how we make financial decisions as well as our internal feelings about money. Clinton, Gudmundson, and Sharon Danes first introduced the family financial socialization theory in 2011. In that paper, we can cite recent literature review of this theory in the show notes. There are a lot of factors that influence socialization, so it's good to acknowledge that it's not just parents that play a role in longer-term financial habits, attitudes, or even anxieties of individual consumers. Peers and formal education can also impact financial socialization, which is why so many states, including Illinois, have mandates around financial education. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that we talked about the resources and K through 12 education mandates present in Illinois in our ninth episode on financial education and financial literacy. In our 11th episode on saving for college with a 529 savings plan, we also talked about how parents saving for college can have a big influence on whether or not someone decided to pursue post-secondary education. This is just to highlight that the financial socialization can include observed behaviors, not just explicit conversations within families. 
And I also would like to just off that five to nine, you know, I, I worked at the charger's office. I hear that all the time. Like kids who know that they have a college savings plan are more likely to go to college, but I had never really seen that play out. And this past weekend, my cousins were over and her son who we were like playing and he overheard my cousin and I talking about U of I. And he was like, oh, I have a college savings account. I'm going to college. And I was like, oh, yes, you do. So, <laughs> so it was kind of cool to see that play out. So I just thought I'd share that story. That's amazing. Kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You know. Uh, then you're more likely to go. So now that we've talked a little bit about financial socialization, let's talk about the money personality inventories that kind of seek to better understand and categorize our habits, our attitudes, and our anxieties around money. So there are probably a lot more out there than what we're going to talk about today, but I'm going to talk about the ones that I'm most familiar with that I've used as an educator and in financial coaching sessions with my students. So the first one I wanna talk about is Money Habitudes. This is actually a card game created by Sybil Solomon that focuses on financial habits and attitudes, as you might guess from the word habitudes. It's a fun way to kind of start conversations around strengths and weaknesses of different money habitudes. And those habitudes include areas like security, planning, status, giving, spontaneous, and carefree. And there are a lot of different facilitation tools and guides with these for educators to use. And it seems to be most effective with middle-aged adults, actually, that already kind of know what their habits are. I've used this card game with younger college students to talk kind of about how our differences can make it challenging to talk to other people about shared goals or when we may not share the same values around money as someone else that we have to spend money with collectively, like a roommate or a partner or a parent sometimes, especially if you're discussing whose responsibility it is to pay for school. We didn't play this game as a team, but usually when I play it, it's it's more of a solitaire game, and I tend to end up with two dominant money habitudes. It's usually heavy in security and planning. I like to pretend that I'm a spontaneous person, and it's just that I have to have a plan for that spontaneity. Otherwise, I'm uncomfortable and I get anxiety. I'm all going. Did you say you have to plan for your? I have, yeah. So I have a, you know, we talk about in budgets having a fun money category. Mm-hmm. So when a surprise opportunity pops up, I can spontaneously take advantage of it. So you prepare yourself to be spontaneous, right. not that you plan out your spontaneity. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't I would, plan I... to go on a trip and then. <laughs> say I went on a spontaneous trip. No. You're just prepared to be spontaneous when the occasion arises. And sometimes that's buy a plant randomly for my yard, or it's go on a little day trip, or it's buy a new piece of artwork. That's the spontaneous spending. I don't usually plan for those kinds of things. But you know that you plan for the money, so you have, you can do that. 
I set my fun money aside so I have, I can act on spontaneous urges. And if I don't have that plan, then I can't act on my spontaneous urges. Or I give myself extreme anxiety when I do it. Because I'm like, where's that money coming from? I don't know. I just took out of my cell phone money to make this purchase, right? Okay. Is that clear? I think we're clear now. I think we got that cleared up. Yeah, I think okay. we're I think we're good to go. Thank you. So let's talk about money harmony. This is a 20 statement quiz that was created by Olivia Mellon and is highlighted in her book, Money Harmony, a roadmap for individuals and couples. And once you complete it, it provides a specific money type. And those types include hoarder, amasser, spender, avoider, or money monk, which not all of those are great terms to use for some of those. They have their strengths and weaknesses, just like I discussed with money habitudes. But that's another tool that we can use to learn about our internal kind of thoughts about money. The other one I want to talk about is Klontz Money Scripts Inventory. This is probably the most empirically researched financial personality inventory, and it was created by Ted and Brad Klontz. They have tons and tons and tons of research on it, and you can even take the digital version for free online, though you can print it out and complete it as well. So I've, I've taken it as a printout in a workshop before, if that's how you want to use it, instead of providing your information on the, for the digital one. The categories or money scripts in this tool includes money avoidance, money worship, money status, and money vigilance. And they all have different money scripts or unconscious beliefs associated with each one of those kind of categories. There's individual thoughts around money that are associated with those. And that's what you rate when you complete the inventory. A scale that I want to talk about that's not necessarily a personality inventory, but can be very useful for monitoring your financial well-being is the CFPB's financial well-being scale. So like I said, it's not really a money personality inventory since it does not assess our underlying beliefs about money, but it can be really valuable because it's such an extremely well-researched tool for assessing our internal feelings about our own financial capacity. Sometimes I've suggested using this tool instead of looking at credit scores as a a measurement of your financial well-being, since it's a bit more consistent and inclusive than some of the arbitrary factors that a credit scoring company will decide when they come up with a score. So Since we're talking about financial health and well-being, I feel like we should probably explain the difference between those two things as well. So financial health is a term that's more often associated with the state of your financial portfolio, like how much you have in savings or assets that you have, and how much you're contributing to savings, and the ratio of your budget that you're dedicating to non-discretionary spending choices, like what we talked about in the budgeting episode that we did. It does not typically include our levels of financial anxiety or confidence or any internal feelings about money. So that's financial health. Financial well-being has been described many different ways over the years. I've been in this industry over 10 years, and I don't know how many different definitions of financial well-being that I've heard. But I like the CFPB's definition of financial well-being, especially since we're going to be discussing the scale today. 
And according to the CFPB, financial well-being means how much your financial situation and money choices provide you with security and freedom of choice. So that score is determined by the extent to which people feel that they can, A, have control over day-to-day -day and month-to-month -month finances, B, have the capacity to absorb a financial shock, C, are on track to meet their financial goals, and D, have the financial freedom to make the choices that allow someone to enjoy life. So now that I discussed kind of all these different financial personality inventories and scales, uh, I had Jake and Nikki take the Money Harmony Quiz, the Klontz Money Scripts Inventory, and the CFPB Financial Wellbeing Scale so we can discuss them as a team. Ready for discussion. Are we going to start, which, which one do you want to start with? Good question. So let's talk about the money harmony one, uh, since that one's, I feel like that one's also a little bit dated in some of the questions, but it can kind of, what, it, how did you guys feel about the money harmony quiz? So let me start off by saying that I love taking all sorts of personality inventories and quizzes, like I'm, I'm a sucker for all of them. So I enjoyed taking all of these just because I think that there's always something interesting that you either learn about yourself or you're just like, oh, no, that's not really me or whatever. I do understand why you think some of the, the questions could be a little bit dated. I was a hoarder. Yes, I was a hoarder. And then my second one was a master. So I kind of found that funny because those two together, I feel like personally, that's how I am. Like the hoarder talks a lot about saving and, you know, making sure that you're prepared for an emergency. And then a master, it talks about wanting more to earn and get more money. And to me, those almost sometimes do go hand in hand. Cause it's like, yes, I want more money to make sure I'm saving. So I know that I'm okay for the future and for any like emergencies. I think that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jake? Yeah, so I guess I'll say that I I think I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum from Nikki and that I'm more skeptical of like personality quizzes and those type. like historically I I've you know I'll take your BuzzFeed quiz to tell you you know which friend you are which Harry Potter character you are but like I don't typically love a, a quiz determining telling or telling me like what my personality is. I felt like some of the questions on this. I can see how you could say dated. I also felt like a few of the questions like didn't have answers for people who might not fit into like a certain income qualities. Like, especially like the, there was a que question about how you approach taxes. And it's like every, every answer was like, whether you look forward to like paying your taxes or not, it was all about paying taxes. Like that leaves off a big chunk of people who get tax returns every year, you know, and then probably approach taxes very differently. So I can see how it was a little dated. I, and I thought some of the questions maybe not, don't factor in like, or maybe not super inclusive of like lower income people, maybe. Mm -hmm. I got money amasser was my top answer and hoarder was my second top response. You know, I, I felt like that kind of fit for me. I do like to just have like, I'm not as big of a planner as like Andrea is, you know, like she's talked about, I kind of like have like a rudimentary, like very like general budget that I try to stick to. And like, I'm like, here's how much I want to spend on bills. And then like this other pile of money is like stuff I can spend on like once, 
So like, I don't, I don't break it down like super specifically. So I'm like, as long as I have enough to like get by, I'm like pretty happy with that. So, and, and again, like, you know, I always want more money too. like more money. It doesn't hurt, I, I guess to say, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I believe that like money equals happiness, but like, I do think that money can having more money isn't going to hurt you in the long run. And I, I will say with this quiz, I felt like some of them, some of the answers, like the statements, it was like so obvious what they were trying to get at that. It's like, are you really going to pick that? Like <laughs> money is evil. Like, you know, I, or, um, I, I noticed that as well. People but... are greedy. Like <laughs> all rich people are greedy. It's just like stuff like that. Where I was like, I felt like the other one that we'll talk, we'll talk more about was more at, like it, it gave you a scale that it wasn't just this answer or this answer. Cause there were some on this quiz that I was like, none of these really fit me, but this is the one that I guess is closest. Yeah. 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 I agree. There was questions where I felt like I did, there wasn't an answer that really described like my approach to that specific question. Um, And I think that's why I agreed with you being a little bit dated. Like, I feel like there were more possibilities to that answer that may be more popular now. Yeah. 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 Like there was a, like there was a question about lending money and like, I am the type of person like, yeah, if somebody needs like five or $10, you know, I will give that to them. No problem. Like, I'm not worried about whether they can pay back five or $10 to me, but like, I'm also like, I don't have the income to like loan somebody like a significant amount of money and like expect them to pay me back over time with interest. So like, I felt like, I felt like nothing in that question really described or none of the answers to that question really described me. And it's funny. Cause that was one of the questions I, I had a hard time. I struggled with too, because, but for different reasons, for me, it was, it was very generic. Like, do you have an issue? You know, I can't remember the exact wording, but loaning out money well a there's a lot of factors that go into that like how much money are we talking like I don't care if you give me that five dollars back but if you're come to me and you're like I need five hundred dollars then yeah that's different Mm -hmm. but also what the circumstances are around that ask I think is also very different and I don't think that it really takes that minute detail and of course it's just an online quiz so it can't but like that it's particular question questions. to me right yeah but that that particular question to me definitely stood out as like uh I don't none of these <laughs> you know so should we talk about like should we maybe break down like the the personality types a little bit more too Probably. So I'm also a hoarder typically when I take this quiz. So I'm most familiar with that one. There's hoarder, a master. (laughs) I will say, I think it's funny that all three of us, I mean, Jake's hoarder was second, but it makes sense that the three of us have a little bit of financial education podcast and we're all hoarders. Like that kind of tracks. (laughs) Anyway, um, but we were going to talk about the different types. Hoarder, we talked about a masser. Um, yeah, so yeah, hoarder, people who like to like have as much as they can, like hold on to their money. A masser are people who also like to have as much as they can, but like they don't necessarily value like saving money. It's like they just like to have it for general purposes, whether that's spending, saving, or so that's how the I kind of understood growing it. wealth. Yeah, yes. growing it, like continuing to get more money. And yeah. it's more tied to, I felt like, 
with a master, they talked more about like that psychological piece about your self worth and like what you accomplish is tied to how much money. Mm-hmm. Spender was another one in this category and for this quiz that was discussed. And it's like what it sounds. You're yeah, people one who that like likes to spend, to spend money. money. The other one is avoider. Um, and this one sometimes. I would imagine the money script that would be associated with this or the, the unconscious thought that would be associated with this is that money is a problem and I don't want the responsibility of it. So you avoid dealing with it. I think uh, also then, that one, sorry, that was my third highest one was money avoider. And I only three of my 20 responses were avoider. So it's not like I was super high in it. But yeah, I think it also kind of maybe people who like to like think less about money like Andrea you're a big planner like I'm less of a planner so like when I'm presented like with a question like about money where it's like yeah like this specific thing dealing with money is like something I'd rather just not worry about or think about like I just like it'll take care of itself hopefully as long as I have enough money I think I need to clarify some assumptions that Jake has about me being a planner I automate a lot of things because I don't want to like I hate writing down all my expenses, right? I automate all of that. I automate my bill pay, I, but I like to plan for fun things. I like to create my budget for my travel plan. I think that because I sent you my, my travel plan for my last vacation, I've, I've set this bad precedent that I'm a super <laughs> planner and I'm not. And I just, <laughs> just want to make sure all our listeners know I do not have a superpower of planning. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to, I didn't mean to stretch that, but. I, I actually think... don't believe you though. <laughs> like I know you and like we work with you. We've seen the outlines and the timelines and everything that you put together that like you for your own standards may not feel that you are that. But I think the majority of other people would be like, no, yes, Andrea is a planner. Well, I also have had, I had like a decade of work experience before I pulled you into my, my working, my workflow, right? It took a few years to figure out what the plan needed to be. (laughs) And there was a lot of mistakes that were made. So to avoid extra work, (laughs) I've streamlined that. And I'm like, this is the plan. This is the timeline. This is the deadline. I also deal with students a lot. And like, they have to have a lot of structure to be successful. So I just, I just wanted to put it out there. I also change my mind a lot. You can ask my husband. Anytime we order something for food, I change as soon as someone comes to, to get our order. I change my mind from what I told him I was going to get. <laughs> okay, so we discussed avoider. Spender. And spender. And then money monk is the last one, which typically believes that money is the root of all evil. Like Nikki was talking about, it's a very direct kind of question. And I imagine that a lot of people don't necessarily want to admit that if they do internally or unconsciously believe that money is the root of all evil. Yeah. The money monk one to me, uh, I'm, it seemed like, I'm sure there's people out there that like genuinely fit this description, but seem like more of a, like a niche, like maybe like a smaller category like I think probably a lot of a lot of people might fit into like the master hoarder or spender 
roles, but like Money Monk maybe seemed like one of the like smaller personality types, just because like it seemed, you know, the questions surrounding it were, you know, people who don't want to have money or like want to give their money away to charity, like they just want enough for like their very basic necessities and then give the rest of their money away. I, I don't think too many people live their lives like that. So what the statistics would be on the distribution for this and like a representative sample of Mm. um, our culture for instance of Americans for instance and it probably would differ in other countries or other cultures oh yeah I'm sure sure. yeah and I also think the thing with the money monk that was interesting to me is that they combined that money is the source of all evil with also I want to give all my money away and sometimes like I I know people who do believe that yes that money money corrupts and it, and it does cause bad things to happen like they believe that but they also wouldn't necessarily give all their money to charity mm-hmm. like so to me it was interesting to combine those two things together I definitely think that this particular quiz, probably because there's just 20 questions um, and it may not be a kind of validated tool in a a research perspective, might be oversimplified in understanding your financial socialization or your internal beliefs about money or how you spend money. But since Olivia Mellon is a psychotherapist, right? She probably implemented this tool to help facilitate discussions between couples about making choices together and spending decisions and discussing conflict related to money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, like helping people reconcile their differences about how they approach money. Mm -hmm. I can see this being a very useful tool for that. Well, let's talk about the Klontz Money Scripts Inventory. I like this one a lot. Let's clonce it up. Let's clonce it up. So there are, as a reminder, four money scripts, money avoidance, money worship, money status, and money vigilance. Who wants to talk first about their experience with this inventory? Nikki, you went first last time, so I I can start us off on this one. I think I like this quiz a little a little better than the money harmony one. It was more questions and they were less like, kind of less obvious that they were trying to like, you know, the money harmony one, you can very easily tell there's five different answers for each question. There's like five different categories they're trying to group you into. This one, you don't see all that, you know, you just kind of go through the quiz and it takes you to the next screen. And then at the end, it pumps out your answers and gives you, it, it's very much like less obvious what it's trying to give you. So I felt like it, it's a little bit easier to be more genuine with your answers. My top score was money worship. They, they put you on a scale of like they give you a score for each category and based on the score it's like scores higher than four suggest you exhibit like many of the characteristics scores between three or four suggest you exhibit some characteristics and the scores below three suggest you do not exhibit that money personality inventory Uh, i got money worship was my top one at 4.29 and then my second highest was money vigilance at 3.75 and also money avoidance was 3.2 uh, I did not register very high on the money money status, which is interesting kind of comparing it to money harmony. Like I got a master on that one, which says that like you value money as like a status symbol. But according to this quiz, like that's something that's like, I don't actually tie my self-worth to my net worth. And, and that's how I think of myself as well. 
but yeah, I thought this was a pretty good one. I, I, I enjoyed taking it and I, I kind of agree with like the general categories that I was fit into as well, you know? Yeah, I agree too. I liked this one a lot better. And I know Andrea mentioned that it has a lot of research behind this one. So that makes a lot of sense. They've probably, they probably tweaked this a lot. So I had one that was way higher than anybody else. I had money vigilance was my score was 4.88 on a five point scale. So that's pretty, pretty high. And I really did feel that parts of this were on point as far as less likely to buy on credit and to be somewhat anxious about financial futures that all hit home for me. Part of it that didn't hit home for me was they said they believe it's important to save yes and for people to work for their money okay and not be given financial handouts and to me I was like there there's a lot in that one line that I was like but I, I mean I am a big proponent of I guess I wasn't sure what they meant by financial handouts in that because like I I support a lot of social programs that help um, lower economic people. And to me, I don't view that as a handout. So I was a little like, I, I wasn't sure what their definition of that was. Right. But yeah, then my next two were almost tied money avoidance. I had 3.3 and money worship was 3.29. And then way at the bottom money status was 1.29. I, like I said, I like this. It, it made sense to me for mine, for the most part, for, for who I think I am when it comes to my finances. I haven't taken this inventory in quite a while, but every time I take it, I end up very high in money vigilance. The, one of the last workshops I was in, the, the facilitator kind of had us get into groups based on our highest money script. And I started out the discussion with, so I suffer from severe financial anxiety and it controls my whole life being funny because I was in a, a room with a bunch of other educators, right? But the reality is that a lot of these money scripts kind of play on our financial fears, financial anxieties, and sometimes like even the terminology and the semantics around the questions and the titles that they give the different categories sometimes are kind of negative, which doesn't always help us when we're, we have a complicated relationship with money, which is why I think looking objectively using something like the financial well-being scale to measure where you are right now and how it can change in the future might be more valuable if something like the money personality inventories give you more anxiety and you can't really... <laughs> further your relationship with money in a way that helps you accomplish your goals. All right, so we're going to talk about the financial well-being scale from the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which we like to reference all the time because they do have a lot of valuable tools and resources for consumers to learn about finances. And I just want to specify that this is not a personality inventory. It's a scale to objectively measure your capacity and internal feelings about your ability to cover both present costs, daily expenses, month-to-month -month expenses, and plan for future emergencies or opportunities. So how'd you guys feel after taking the financial well-being scale? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is 
I know that I am very lucky and that I have had a lot of privileges in my life, but I think seeing my score, I was like, oh, it, it was just a reality check. I think for me on the, um, I will tell you, I, the first time I took it, I got a 66, which was way high for like the a- average. And then I took it again and I got a 59. So clearly the, the one day I must, I must've been feeling real good about stuff. I don't know what the difference was, but either way, even 59 is, is high. And especially I also really liked CFPB, like they give you your score and you could see like in general, how, how you compare, like the U S average is 54 according to CFPB. So I had 59 and then I had a 66, but you could also towards the end, you could compare it by age, household income and employment status. So particularly seeing where my score was it relative to where other people my age are. I think, like I said, I know that I am lucky and my husband and I have, have had a lot of good luck that way. And and, and privilege, but I think seeing the number was very, I was like, oh yeah. Like it was, it was just a reminder of that for me. That makes a lot of sense, especially because like we all work in finances and we understand that there are different barriers to access and that makes a big difference on how we feel and our capacity to make financial choices. What about you, Jake? Yeah, uh, this was uh, this was an interesting one for me. I think uh, I was I took it three times. I took it last week, and then I took it yesterday when I thought we were going to record, and then again this morning. Uh, and I got two fifty fives, and then a fifty eight this morning. So I guess I was feeling a little bit more financially secure this morning. But I felt like for me when I was taking it, like I I am still like figuring out, you know, my overall financial well-being you know i i feel like i'm on my journey like in the but in the early part of it and like trying to figure it all out and like get my stuff together so to speak so i feel like i'm on my way so it was nice to see i guess that like i'm kind of right around the average like i'm not well below average or like you know i i, I didn't feel like i was falling behind so that was like kind of a nice feeling yeah I'm, I'm in the i'm in the 25 to 34 year old age group and you know i was slightly above that too so like it kind of makes me feel um like I'm like I'm doing okay you know sometimes I think that like maybe I'm like behind on like where I should be financially but this was a nice for me at least to like kind of gauge myself against like other people in my age group or like other people in my income designation and say like you know I'm kind of like kind of on track you know maybe slightly ahead of like where I could be in relation to those things um yeah just in, and on the questions too like the I, I like the scale on these they give you like a five scale answer. So like, it's kind of easy to find yourself on that scale. And I didn't feel like there was any question that I was like really stumped by felt, it felt like very straightforward and it was quick too. It's only like, it's what, like 10 questions. I think it was quick and easy and nice to do. I I thought this one was, was really good. Well, and this tool is, is validated. They've researched it with thousands of people. It doesn't store your information. So the comparisons that it shows you when it's done is from the validated research that they originally did to create the tool. And it is adjusted based on age, because if you're over 62, you're more likely to fall into a different category or feel differently about your financial situation because of where where you are in the life cycle. And it's a more fluid 
kind of thing that they're trying to measure. Your feelings are fluid. How you feel in the morning sometimes is different than how you feel at lunchtime when you're hangry, right? So it makes sense that your feelings about your financial situation and your access to information or tools or resources or services could also be different depending on where you're physically located. If you relocate to a different region or area, that can either improve your access to resources or services or limit your access to services, which would then impact your financial well-being score, for instance. Luckily, with technology, that's not physical location is not as much of an issue. But even let's say if you go, let's say you're, you're uh, part of the unbanked population, maybe you cannot get banked, you're blacklisted, or you're have, you just have issues with, with accessing financial institutions, your only services around your, your physical location might be tied to loan places or check cashing places, which doesn't provide the same type of security or protections that a traditional financial institution provides. And that could impact your financial well-being score as well. So there are a lot of different factors to consider with financial well-being and financial socialization, but having kind of an understanding where you are can help you feel empowered, right? Jake, you said you didn't feel like you were falling behind. Do you feel like you were empowered? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a motivator. I, I guess some of these, yeah, these are like quizzes, like quiz, I guess quizzes isn't the right word. Um, but these like personality tests uh, and the scale here, like as a whole kind of, I guess, kind of motivate you to like, you can, once you get your scores back or you get your personality back, you can kind of like motivate yourself to, you know, see where you might be missing some stuff or like see where there's some areas of improvement, you know, like for example, going back to the clients one, you know, I was a, uh, I was a money, money worship was my highest score. And they, they say that, the higher the score on money worship, the more likely they are to have a lower net worth and carry credit card debt. You know, I, I can't say that's like super inaccurate for me, but like, but I'm still like early on in, you know, my journey, I have like a negative net worth because of my student loans. So right. these are all things that I'm like working on improving as I'm going along. So it's kind of a little bit of a motivator and the scale too, it kind of reinforce like that to keep going along and, and keep working on the finances. Cause you know, it's something you can always keep improving on. What about you, Nikki? Um, I think this one was my favorite in terms of, I really liked that it was a scale based. So every statement, it wasn't like, yes, I totally agree with this, or I totally don't agree with this. It gave you that range. Um, So I felt like this was pretty accurate and simple to like, get a hold of. And like I said, it was very interesting to me to see how I was compared to others in my age group. And yeah, I highly recommend it. I think, like I said earlier, you kind of got to take some of the, especially personality inventories with a grain of salt. It's not going to be 100% because only you know who you are and how you behave and what your thoughts are. And it's hard to capture that in any other kind of tool. But I really think the financial well-being scale is helpful for monitoring your, your state of financial well-being over time. Because like I said, it's and, and I do think that all of these, it's just really helpful to, to I, at least me personally, I know I, I never really thought about how I think about finances or money. So I think um, taking them and seeing these different personalities, it 
it's like, oh yeah, I do, I do value saving over spending, or I value a budget, you know, like just like re- reinforcing like, oh yeah, I guess I do. I, I never really thought about it, but it, it's interesting to see. I actually made my husband play the funny habitudes game with me once and seeing how different his results were than from mine helped me better understand where he was coming from when we would discuss shared goals. And then it also helped me to have better communication with him to, to use certain terms or focus on certain aspects of shared goals a little bit more if I was trying to, you know, explain all the different considerations around a decision or really push through why I wanted to do something. So that's another value in some of these tools is if you know how somebody else is categorized, then sometimes you can change how you approach conversations with them to be more about how they think about the goal or how they think about their own spending decision than how you think about them or how you internalize it. So if better understanding your financial habits, attitudes, behaviors, values, or financial well-being generally is something that you want to do for yourself, I hope we have illustrated that there are several free tools out there to help you to be kind of introspective about your own relationship with money and how that impacts your behavior. And like Andrew just mentioned, knowing your money personality can be very helpful when talking with your partner about your goals. This is something um, Andrea and Kamaya Wallace-Bashard will talk about in our webinar, Money in Relationships, this upcoming February, which is part of the Get Savvy, Grow Your Green Stuff webinar series. So we always plug those webinars, so be on the lookout for that. And be sure to join us next time when we talk about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. We'll be having a very special guest who's an expert uh, in this subject matter from DePaul University on for that episode. So it's going to be a great one uh, and you won't want to miss it. But thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share with your family and friends. See you next time.